This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back to What Matters Most. I appreciate everyone around the world who writes in and listens and the ever-expanding global audience. Thank you. Thanks for the guest suggestions and for caring. I have such an interesting person on the show who I've admired for years. Uh, I've seen his work and followed his adventures, and he's an author, multiple books, motivational speaker. He's turned into quite the environmentalist, and he has some unbelievable tales to tell. It's just an honor to finally have on the family, Paul DeGelder. Thanks for coming on, my brother. Jeez, mate. Hey, congratulations. I happen to look at your Instagram, which I never do to like guess. I don't know what led me there, but... Uh, you recently got engaged. I did. I am the oldest in my family of the siblings, and I have 10 nieces and nephews, and no one thought this was going to happen. But, you know, when you find the right one, it's it's time. Well, I was thinking you've done some adventurous things, but this might be the ultimate profiling <laughs> yeah. courage. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a little scary, but you know what? Nothing has changed. We had such a good relationship for the first year together. We haven't even had a single fight. And so, you know, I, I got to lock it down. When you find that gold nugget, you got to keep it. That's right. Especially you live in LA, baby. It's a transitory town. Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. I got a good girl from uh, Denver, Colorado. How'd you guys meet? We, we'd actually followed each other on social media for about a year. And she was into the vegan community, same as me. And we have some similar acquaintances, but, you know, I thought she was way out of my league. And funnily enough, she thought I was as well. Plus, she thought I lived in Australia. And uh, then she needed some help with her car. And I'd actually just been through the exact same thing. We had the same um, variety of car and I had a great mechanic. So I just hit her up and I was like, hey, do you need some help with this? And she said, absolutely. So she came out, she lived uh, out East LA. So she drove like an hour and a half, two hours over to me. And I took her to my mechanic and I took her to lunch while we were waiting. And we just absolutely hit it off and barely left each other's side for the next three months. Wow, it's beautiful. And you got her out of the east side of LA. So you did two good deeds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, she's doing a good deed for me as well. I've never been snowboarding before. And her and her mum took me up to Telluride at the start of this year for my first experience. And I got a, I got a snowboarding prosthetic leg for it and I killed it. And she looked at me on, on day three and she said, I don't know how you're doing this. And I said, What do you mean? Doing what? She said, It's taken me three days to get as good as. It took me to get at three months. And so I'm like, and I, I love it. And there's, there's a really particular reason I love it. Terrifying. Uh, <laughs> there, like, there's, there's not a lot in life that scares me anymore. You know, I've been through a lot. But I'm going down a mountain on this stick. I don't really know how to stop. And there's cliffs everywhere and there's no fence to stop me falling off the cliff i could literally die at any second and i love that feeling jeez i've been scared to do it i'm going to be honest i grew up in florida and people go to you go skiing i go yeah water skiing that was all the what you know the only kind of skiing we had <laughs> then you got to worry about gators and sharks later on when we were snorkeling and diving, I thought, oh, my God, I feel like I'm, they're tr it's like a boat trolling a large piece of fat bait <laughs> behind the boat with wooden skis. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. 
I'd be bobbing away like it was Jaws waiting for the guy to get me from beneath. Yeah. Well, you know, I looked it up. I, I love it so much. I looked up the Australian Paralympic team and there's actually no one in my category for amputation. So I figure if I get good enough, and I just picked up a sponsor actually, Signal, and they're, they're shipping me out boards and bindings and boots. And so I figure if I can get good enough over the next couple of years, I could be next step in the Paralympics. A star is born. <laughs> I don't know about that. I just love doing it. Hey, why does your relationship work so well? A lot of people always ask for advice on stuff like that. And it's rare to, first, you, both, you have to be the right person, not just find the right person. Why is it flowing for you too? Um, I think it's, for me, it's because I've been, you know, I'm a little older, I'm 45, and I've been through a lot of relationships and I take pride in the fact that I learn from my mistakes. And so I'm continuously trying to be better. Um, communication is obviously, they always say that it's the massive thing. And it, it absolutely is. You have to be able to sit down, talk things out, no animosity, um, like just get to the nuts and the bolts and tell each other how you're feeling. And, you know, and, and don't forget to have a good time. It's supposed to be fun. So share good times together, enjoy each other's company, but also Take some time apart. You know, it's like that pink song. Give me some time to miss you. And Esther Perel, who uh, does a lot of work on that, says that when you miss people and you have developed your own lives, it's so much healthier and it'll go longer, farther and be deeper. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You guys are vegan too, huh? Yeah, yeah. I've been vegan for about five or six years now. Um, you know, I, that stemmed from a trip. I went to Africa to shoot a documentary about anti-poaching. And I embedded with this anti-poaching unit and it's uh, called the International Anti-Poaching Foundation in Zimbabwe, run by a guy called Damien Nanda. Now, Damien is an Aussie and we actually served in the same Navy branch together. And uh, he went special forces, he was a sniper and multiple tours of Iraq and he was training the Iraqis. And on one of his breaks, he went to Africa on safari and while he was there, he saw a rhino with its you know, the front of its face hacked off and it touched a part of his soul. And he gave up all his other jobs, sold a bunch of his investment properties and put all of his money uh, and time and soul into starting uh, at the Anti-Poaching Foundation. And so I went out there to work with him and one, one night I saw him eating from a separate pot and I thought, ah, this guy, he's keeping the good meat for himself and giving the ranges the garbage. And so I hit him up about it and I say, you know, what's going on over there, buddy? And he's like, well, the rangers eat meat and I don't eat meat. So it was like the totally opposite thing. And I, I was like, why don't you eat meat? And he said, well, I'm vegan. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, well, look, I was out here dedicating my life to protecting the animals. And then I was going home and I was eating the animals and I felt like a hypocrite. And that kind of touched me because all through my military career, the worst leaders were the hypocrites. They were the ones that do as I say, not do as I do. And so I always strive to lead by example and be that sort of leader. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm trying to protect the sharks and protect the oceans and, you know, that leads on to protecting the planet and the land. And so I thought, well, I feel like a hypocrite. I don't want to be that guy. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to give it a go. And I went home and I went vegan for two days. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was supposed to eat. And so it kind of went on the back burner for a while. And then I kept kept meeting these people that I respect that had gone vegan. And um, it, it just, 
it reignited the fire in me. And I really believe that when the universe is speaking to you, when things keep popping up in your life, it's because the universe has a plan for you and you should be listening to that. And so I gave it another go, did it slowly, cancelled out kangaroo first because I loved eating kangaroo. Uh, and then, you know, piece by piece by piece. And you know, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. I love it. I feel good in my soul. And doesn't your body actually feel better? We're more designed to eat plants. Um, well, that's the science. That's what the science says. Yeah. Um, you know, we can be omnivorous and that's fine, but we don't digest the, the meats as well. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a dietitian or nutrition. All I know is, um, I, and I didn't get all that, oh, I sleep better. I've got more energy. I didn't get any of that. But what I did notice was I didn't get injuries um, for about four years afterwards. And I, I trashed my body in the military and you know, I trained really hard every day and I stopped getting injuries and that blew my mind. You mentioned listening to the spirit, universe, God. Isn't it amazing what can happen if we surrender our lives over to some, the mystical unknowable, the infinite? I don't see it as an old man who's grouchy, <laughs> fucking needs a haircut. <laughs> There's this unbelievable infinite intelligence, which is just words. It's loving and the size of this universe, multiverse, but yet somehow it's tapped into every single thing every little ladybug and me and you and i used to be the biggest atheist skeptic but over time i've come to have such so many such a direct experience of it and it'll guide you if you ask and i don't think i'm special because the other people i know that are tapped in with the same thing you just literally have to be open and get your ego out of the way how does it work for you yeah i think that's the biggest thing yeah i think that's the biggest thing they be open to it be open to experiences don't um let your ego get in the way of um thinking you have to look good or say the right thing all the time just if an opportunity presents itself to you and it's especially the big scary ones that you're really afraid to to face they're the most important opportunities that you should face because they're the ones that are going to lead you to change and growth in mind and body and spirit. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm not a huge hippie dippy person, but I have read a lot about it. And it is really interesting how there is clearly an intelligent design to the world that we exist in. You know, you look at the Fibonacci sequence where everything in nature applies to this mathematical equation of frequencies and vibrations and sounds. And, you know, it's, it's very hard to dispute. And it, when you give, like, your attention to it, it's just like that book, That Secret, you give your attention to it. You try and manifest these good things in your life. It's like prayer. What are you doing? You're, you're thanking, you're giving thanks and you're praying for the best things in life. So you're actually meditating on all of the good things you want and you can manifest all of those things into your life. I agree. It's generous. Do you meditate? Do you have a practice? And I'm sure when you're in the water, out in the wilds, for me, nature, it sounds like for you too, is a, a great portal. Like if I'm in the woods, in the redwoods or where I go in the ocean a lot, to me, that's like I'm, I'm more connected when I'm in the wild and in nature. Absolutely. My, my favorite place is, you know, probably understandably under the water. Um, and I, I find it funny when people think or they tell me they get uh, claustrophobic when they're in the ocean. And I don't understand that. I get it because, you know, you've, you've got that breathing restriction, you've got the little mask on, but it's just this immense space. 
and I feel so able to move freely. There's no weight on my body. I can I can do a somersault. I can do a spin. I can float around. And you're literally entering this different dimension, like you're going to space to another planet. And there's all these beautiful little alien creatures everywhere, and it's otherworldly. So being under the ocean with the sharks and the fish and all manner of weird and wonderful creature is that's my my happy place. Mm, beautifully said. I do feel like I'm visiting another dimension because I can't breathe there, so I have this apparatus. But also, it's just, it's another world. And it's so beautiful, the colors. And I do feel like I'm visiting like a temple. Like I was out in Maui snorkeling around and just the turtles and the big sharks and the little sharks and the colors. I did feel like I was uh, an invited guest. I felt like it was a sacred, sacred experience. And I'd go every day. Yeah, and it's amazing if you treat it with respect, it'll do the same for you, especially with sharks. Well, you want to share about your experience uh, with that bull shark? That had to be the defining moment, like where your life took a, you know, obviously a radical pivot. Yeah, well, look, I didn't always feel this way. Uh, I used to hate sharks. I was spending so much time uh, in the ocean with the Navy clearance divers uh, in Australia that uh, I just, I, I didn't want any sharks near me because most of the time when we're diving it's either nighttime or it's really murky water and you can't see anything so your imagination runs wild and you start seeing sea monsters and so i just thought like who cares about sharks listen why don't we just kill them all they won't have to worry about them but i knew nothing about them and then i turned up to work one day to do a counterterrorism exercise right in sydney harbour alongside the navy base a place where we've worked for decades and I'm on the surface swimming from point A to point B and a 10-foot bull shark came up from underneath me and grabbed me by my right hand and my right hamstring in the same bite. And I tried to fight it off, but, you know, when you're in their jaws, you really understand how little control you have over that environment. You know, this is a 400-pound beast made of muscle in its element and it just thrashed me and it took me underwater and was... You know, they talk about shark bites and shark interactions and, you know, we try to steer away from the word attack. This shark was trying to eat me and it did. It ripped out my hamstring, it ripped off my hand and I popped to the surface and started swimming back to the safety boat through a pool of my own blood with one hand missing and only one functional leg. Uh, fortunately, my three teammates in the safety boat got to me before, you know, another shark smelt the blood or that shark came back pulled me into the boat and started doing first aid and, and kept me alive until the paramedics got there. And then the, they whisked me off to emergency surgery and I ended up losing um, uh, the rest of my right leg and my hand was gone. And so, yeah, pretty tough day at work, i got to say. It wasn't murky? Did he not know what you were? I always heard if they can see, they'd rather not bite a human because we, you know, bony-ass piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it is murky right there. It is quite murky. But, you know, sharks use other uh, electro-sensory perception to detect prey as well. And, you know, I'm flopping around on the surface in a black wetsuit and a pair of black fins in murky water, probably looking like an injured seal. And it just came up to investigate. It grabbed a huge chunk of flesh, which was my hamstring, didn't hit bone. And so I guess it thought I was an easy meal. And, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I'm I'm just thinking wrong place, wrong time. Funnily enough, I'm the only person to be attacked in Sydney Harbour in 50 years. 
Well, the wrong kind of lottery win. Yeah, I know, right? But yeah, I I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, I don't I don't know who that guy, if he didn't get attacked, would be now. Is he happy? What's he doing? What's his career? What's his life like? I have no idea. I'd love to have my limbs back, but I wouldn't change it because I know who I am now and I have a phenomenal life. I have such great purpose in everything that I do, whether it's writing the books to teach people about life or sharks or getting on stage and doing a lot of public speaking for corporations and companies or going on Shark Week and teaching people about the ocean and sharks. And, you know, it's how many people get to live a dream like that? Yeah, I was looking at your life and I just thought, what an adventure. And because we do believe in this higher force, it's almost like it was a bizarre gift. But like you say, you don't even know if you'd been alive, if you'd been not been attacked. You wouldn't be with that woman. You would, Nothing would be the same. Oh, mate, it, I chose an inherently dangerous life. You know, <laughs> previous to the Navy, I was in the Army Airborne, so I'm jumping out of planes. I've got a machine gun. I'm deploying with the United Nations, and then I changed to the Navy. We're doing mixed gas rebreather diving on bombs, disposing of IEDs, uh, <laughs> you know, so many crazy things. I rode a big black Italian sports bike. So it could have been anything. It could have been parachuting. It could have been a bullet. could have been a bomb. could have been diving. At least this way, I got a good story. Where did that come from, that whole I want to live on the edge and uh, sort of burn out fast or whatever? I mean, you you probably <laughs> couldn't get any life insurance. Uh, I'd never even tried. It wasn't the, the military doesn't teach you things like that. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I wasted so much of my life. Uh, when I grew up, I got bullied a lot in school and I, I was you know in a form of depression and I used to actually self-harm. Uh, when I was about 15, I was cutting up my skin and I didn't want to kill myself because I was brought up in a church and I was like, oh, no, God will send me to hell if I kill myself. And so I just I needed to take some control over my life and my body and everything. And um, that was the only way I felt like I could do it. Like my home life wasn't great. School wasn't great. And so fortunately, I found another way out of that doing uh, Muay Thai kickboxing. And that was a different way to inflict pain on myself, but also grow at the same time and learn to protect myself from the bullies. And I had a great time doing that. And then I just started getting into so much trouble, drinking, drugs, fighting, stealing. And I just wasted so many years that I, I after that, when I found my place finally in the army, I just thought I'm going to give everything I have to this because finally I have purpose. You know, I get to wear this uniform. I get to serve my country. I get to do some really cool stuff. But now the most important thing, I have a purpose. And so you know, I don't let anything that I'm afraid of stop me from doing the things that I love. Paul, what would you say to somebody who is that young guy like you were, who's super self-destructive? We have people that listen in prison. I've gotten emails. There are people all over the world that, you know, right now there's a lot of toxic masculinity, which is really just super wounded, traumatic survivors acting out of pain. People in pain hurt each other. But if they were sitting with us or sitting with you, you've been through, you came out the other side with all of this You've taken so much, you know, mountain of lemons and turned it into, you know, an ocean of lemonade. What would you say to these some young guy like that? Uh, look, it, I, I agree that there is toxic masculinity out there, but there is also just basic masculinity. And don't let anyone tell you that there's anything wrong with being masculine. Uh, if there was more masculinity, like good masculinity, there'd be less kids without fathers. You know, there'd be less crime on the streets. 
And so there's nothing wrong with being a man, but being a man doesn't mean that you can't be vulnerable. You know, when I was doing my very first speaking engagements, I did one for a, um, uh, it was called, I think, Aim for the Stars. It was run by Lane Beachley, who's one of the world's best female surfers. And um, afterwards, I went to her and we sat down for lunch and I asked her what she thought of my presentation. And she said, ah, oh, it was good. <laughs> like, yeah, but what? And she said, you're just so goddamn military. This happened and this happened and this happened. She's like, you've got to give more of yourself. You know, in vulnerability, there is strength. And I thought about that and I was like, I don't know what the hell she expects me to do with that. Like, what am I supposed to cry on stage? But I respect her. I respect her and her opinion so much. I really thought hard about it. And I thought, okay, well, I've got to give more of myself. I've got to get the, the audience to identify with me. And so I tried it out. I tried to give more of my story, more of my vulnerable points during that time of my recovery in my life. And a funny thing happened. Women started to cry in the audience. Men started to cry in the audience. And then I learned how to end that deep, deep dive into emotion with like a joke or something funny. So all of a sudden they're crying and they're laughing and they don't know how to feel. It's this emotional roller coaster. And I realized that there really is a lot of strength in giving some of your vulnerability. So we don't have to be this rock hard, solid people all the time. We don't have to keep these feelings inside like they do teach us in the military. There are times for that, but then don't be afraid to let it all out. Now I'm not saying be a whinger, be a complainer. I hate people like that. But in the right time, right environment, you should be getting that stuff off your chest because if you keep it in there, it's got nowhere else to go. And that's why a lot of the times we become these lost, distant human beings that can't get in touch with our emotions. We can't find our reason and our purpose because we're so bottled up inside. We've got to be open to the world and the universe. And you know, it's a, it's a hard lesson to learn, but Take it from someone who's who's been through it all. It, it will do nothing but improve your life. You know, whether that's talking to your parents, you know, I had a hard time doing that because they weren't very good listeners. So I would talk to my friends, but talk to people, talk to anyone, talk to yourself in the mirror if you have to. You know, there's no bigger critic than yourself. So if you can get that person on your side, then you're going to win. I feel like what you're describing is really real strength. The ability to be strong and tough, but then to be open and vulnerable. That's courage, versatility, and real strength to me. That's that's ultimate masculinity. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. It's what you do with that fear. And that's courageous. When you ask it and you can overcome that fear, you know, it, it helps you grow in every single way. And people are afraid of change. You know, people have kids, you know, they get scared of moving homes. I did it multiple times with my family. It's terrifying making new friends, starting new schools, um, changing jobs. You know, your companies merge and then you've got to uh, align to the new company's policies and things like that. You don't like your job. You don't like your relationship, but people are too scared to get uncomfortable and change that for the better. But they should be getting comfortable with getting uncomfortable. Change isn't, change isn't something that's going to end who you are. It's an opportunity for you to grow into the person you're supposed to be. Where do mentors fit in all this? Um, I think it's great for people to have mentors. Um, 
I think mine have been just friends. Uh, you know, I don't really look up to celebrities, which is probably why Shark Week keeps giving me the celebrity shows because I don't really care who they are. Um, uh, Will Smith, Ronda Rousey, Mike Tyson. I've worked with some really, really big names, but to me, they're just people. And you know, when they're on that show, they're in my environment, so <laughs> I get to be the boss of them for a little while. But you know, listen to the people that are going to guide you in the right way. I just, I just um, watched the first cut of a documentary that I helped create. It's called Thirty to Life, and we embedded ourselves. Uh, it was myself, John Joseph. And Kip Anderson was producer, director. He did uh, What the Health and Seaspiracy, uh, Christspiracy. And uh, we embedded ourselves in the lives of these long-term convicts who were getting out and having to face life for the first time. And most of them were gang members. And a lot of the interviews, they say, I needed, wanted to be part of this gang because I thought they loved me and they cared, me, cared for me and we'd look after each other. And then they discovered that these people they thought would like look after them didn't give a shit about them in the end. And so finding the mentors that aren't just trying to feed your ego, but the ones that will give you the hard truths. You know, if you're, if you're a screw-up, the good people are going to tell you a screw-up, but they're not going to say it in a way that's trying to hurt you. And you have to be willing to listen to that and accept that maybe I'm not always right. Maybe I'm wrong in this instance, and maybe... If I listen to this person, I can change my life for the better. That's a real mentor. And we all need that sense of belonging and we'll either find it in a healthy, high vibe place or in a negative place, but we need to have it. Those are some great names you had on. Hopefully, maybe we can get Kip or somebody on when the documentary comes out. I'd love to help promote that. That sounds worthwhile. We've had a lot of big documentary guys on. Yeah, please let me know. We'll, we'll connect that. Uh, that seaspiracy and cowspiracy, uh, the seaspiracy one too, thinking of that, it so broke my heart. You know, we say, oh, the shark is a scary predator, but I feel like the human being, the human is the ultimate predator and almost a cancer, a scourge of the planet, it destroying everything. You're starting to sound like Mr. Smith from The Matrix. I kind of am in a way. It permit me a few observations. You know, I've been here a while. I rewatched it recently and I sort of identified with that guy. I was like, you know, he's actually the good guy. Yeah, it's hard to refute, isn't it? It's hard to refute. But, you know, the only reason I learned about sharks was because after my shark attack, my recovery was so good um, and I didn't blame the shark at all. Uh, the media would come to me asking for quotes whenever there was another negative shark interaction. And I didn't, I didn't know anything about sharks. So out of a necessity of not sounding and looking like a dummy on television, I thought, oh, all right, I better learn about sharks. And so I started studying, I started Googling, I started reading books. And all of a sudden, I came to that realization that you're talking about that who is the real monster here? You know, the media is portraying these animals in their home, you know, having a nibble sometimes, having a bite, not really knowing what's going on. And they kill maybe 10 people a year in the whole world, as opposed to the 100, 150 million of sharks we kill. So who's the real monster? I just have to let that land. That is so tragic. And we kill them, a lot of them for no reason, or just a fin or some mystical thing. Well, we torture them for fun. You know, we torture them for fun. People go out there sports fishing and they they say it's catch and release. Yeah, sure. Okay. Imagine you went out into a paddock and you stuck a hook through a cow's face and dragged it around the paddock for an hour. You'd be put in jail. 
So why is it different for sharks? Just because we can't hear them scream and we can't see them struggling and being tortured, it's not right and it's not fair. They do feel pain. They do feel fear. I've seen it. I've spent so much time in the water with sharks. They're incredible animals. They have social societies. They, 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 yeah, it's just, it breaks my heart when I think that people care so little for our environment that they would just go and torture animals for fun. It is heartbreaking. I have an interesting bull shark story. I kind of forgot. So I started talking to you years ago when I was in the entertainment business. I had clients down around the Palm Beach area. So we went down there and we brought some people from Nashville and they chartered a boat and we're out about three, four miles, five miles off of Palm Beach coast, Boca Raton. And we're fishing. I don't like to fish, but I love being on the water. And we hook like an amberjack and then something gigantic comes and eats it. The guy, my client fights this thing for an over an hour. And it finally, we pull it up next to the boat and it's like a 10 to 11 foot bull shark. And the captain and his crew are freaking out. They go, this might be a world record. That thing must be a thousand pounds. And ironically, I have a picture of it too. It looks uh, sort of prehistoric. It was so beautiful and this greeny, gigantic thing. The poor thing was all tired. So they said, oh, let's let's kill it. It'll be great publicity. You can mount it or you put the jaws up. And I'm like, no. And they're like, huh? I said, cut the line, free that thing up. He said, oh, that thing would eat you in a minute. I said, the odds would be against it, but even so, that's the natural order. And by the way, if I'm out here swimming around five miles off the coast, I probably deserve it if I'm that stupid. <laughs> I thought that's also uh, survival of the fittest, killing off the dumb. But I said, let it go. Let it go. How old do you think that thing is? And the guy said, I don't know, 80 years old. I said, we're going to kill it for no fucking reason? I said, this is his home or her home. Cut it loose. And they had to because I had the boat. It was mine, you know, even though they, they owned it. And it swam off, and they, they didn't say a word. They gave me the silent treatment. I didn't give a shit. I'd never see them again. But I thought, you know, I did think silently. I said to nature in the ocean, okay, you guys owe me one. So if I'm ever diving off the coast of Maui or whatever, I hope there's some intercomputer of the ocean like, oh, don't eat that guy. He let Willie go. Yeah, there you go, mate. That's karma for you. It was so beautiful, though. I got to say, I literally had tears in my eyes when it came up. It was it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I even remember it now. It chokes me up. Yeah, so you can imagine what it's like when we go to places like Fiji and you'll dive down and there'll be 20 or 30 gigantic bull sharks and there'll be five or six other species of shark there as well. And I can actually hand feed the bull sharks. And I taught Ronda Rousey how to do it in a show as well. And it gives you this crazy understanding and appreciation that they are not mindless killers out there stalking the coast waiting to snatch your babies. It's just amazing. And that when you have the opportunity to get in the water with sharks, take it, go and do it, go and see them for what they truly are. And it's crazy that the people that are most afraid when I take them diving, they always are the ones that want to get closer to the sharks because they realise the sharks don't give a shit about them. They're not interested. And so they all, they come back up and they're like, how come the sharks swim away? I'm like, because you're scaring it. And it's like, what? I'm scaring the shark? I'm like, yeah. Like, it knows you're not food. It can see you. This is clear water. And that's the biggest thing. Like, if it's clear water and you keep your eyes on the shark, they know when you're looking at them. They don't want to fight for a meal. They don't want to get hurt. So you just treat them with respect and they'll do the same for you. Is that why they don't attack? Yeah, generally. You know, we... You're going to keep your eyes on them. You know, they, they can be sneaky. Tiger sharks are 
you know, they'll come up behind you and, you know, there's been close encounters at times where, you know, they try and latch onto your head, but we also have a lot of food in the water. And so, you know, we're hand feeding the tigers or the bulls and there's bits of bait drifting around. And so they're going into a bit of a feeding frenzy. So in those scenarios, you have to be much, much more careful. But generally speaking, they're not going to bother you. You're going to see them, they're going to swim away. It's crazy. When I lived in Maui, too, there were these guys that would go out and free dive, you know, to spearfish. And there were sharks that they knew who literally would follow them around. And then if they speared a fish, they'd steal it. They were like, thanks, mate. And they they were literally having to try to find other spots, even though the shark could have eaten them. But my buddies were like, oh, no, they, they'd rather eat the, the tuna or whatever or snapper or whatever we're getting. They know we we're not good food. And they would follow them around and they would try to say, hey, beat it. But I was like, you guys are nuts. And it was sometimes it'd be like <laughs> 19 foot tiger sharks out there. And they said, you know, we're respectful, but they, they're, you know, they're, they're curious. It defies every lie we've been told. Yeah. Well, you're literally, literally entering the food chain when you start doing that because they, the, the sharks are competing for the fish between themselves. And then you throw yourself into that mix and you've got a dead, half-dead, flappy fish attached to your belt. You know, you got to be very, very careful. I love the one guy. There was a guy in Kauai, too. He said he had to go to the other side of the island because the shark would wait out there for him to go spearfishing so he could eat. It was like a lazy shark. (laughs) We talked about uh, the poaching in Africa and the the millions of sharks killed. Paul, do you ever wonder what makes people want to kill something so beautiful like an elephant and then pose with it or even a giraffe? Anything. If you kill something defenseless with a high-powered weapon, what's so brave about that? I can't understand that mindset to me. It's just beyond me. No, neither. It's ego. It's people that just some people aren't, I guess, as spiritually advanced. They just think that these animals, these majestic creatures are just products, you know, and that that goes into the whole uh, factory farming and eating animal, animals and stuff like that. They see it just as a product, you know, and they, people say, well, you know, I'm a carnivore, I've got these canines, and I'm like, <laughs> where are you big canines, you lion? <laughs> They're nothing. You go going to stalk the meat aisle in the grocery store is what you're doing. But... <laughs> But it's, yeah, it's it's despicable. That's why I just couldn't be a part of it anymore. And, you know, I did think in the early days I was going to become this skinny, smelly, tree-hugging hippie, but, you know, it, it didn't actually happen. I'm, I'm as fit and strong as I have ever been. So it's 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 all education. It's learning. It's, it's caring about your environment. As a guy that's out in nature so, uh, so immersed, you know, so viscerally, I'm sure you've noticed the rapidly changing and deterioration climate crisis. What are your feelings? Uh, I haven't seen a lot of it myself. Uh, I know that the Great Barrier Reef went through some turmoil. There was a lot of bleaching going on there. What I do see is so much trash that it kills me. Like we are just trashing the ocean. Um, you know, I did a show called Shark Wrecked where myself and a British Special Forces guy parachuted into the Pacific Ocean for two days and two nights with no food or water and we had to make it to shore and we finally made it to shore after two days and it's this tiny, isolated little island. And guess what was there when we turned up? Trash. It's just everywhere. It's, it's so sad. I've, I've got this really great group of guys called um, Recycle for Veterans 
and they travel around uh, Southern California and they're branching out into the rest of America and they bring veterans and active service members together and they go out and they do big beach cleanups and then you know, it gives these guys the sense of community that they had in the military when they're out that also gives them something purposeful to do and then afterwards we go have a beer. Uh, and it's like it's people like that that make the difference. Do you think the species is going to survive itself or will we have a mass extinction, including us? Oh, it's, 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 it's that a fulcrum, isn't it? It just feels like we're at this tipping point right now. And, you know, what's really great is um, Congress just passed the, um, oh, I can't remember what the actual act is called, but basically they've agreed to ban the import and export of shark fins. And so that is a huge win for sharks. California just banned all oil drilling too. Oh, wow. That's, that's fine. Because those spills, those spills kill everything. Yeah. Well, look, the, the spills are bad, but when you take it as a comparison to commercial fishing, those spills do nothing. Like, sure, birds get covered in oil and seals and it's horrible, but, you know, actually what happens is the life around those areas starts to thrive after a little while because no one's allowed to go into the area. Um, you compare that to commercial fishing where, you know, for example, during COVID, uh, over 300 Chinese fishing vessels went into the international waters between Ecuador and the Galapagos Islands, and they stayed out there for months. And some of these trawlers are as big as football fields, and they just took everything that was in their path. So you compare just, just those couple of months to an oil spill, and it's not even comparable. The commercial fishing industry is destroy is what is destroying our ocean, and not just by taking the fish, but all of the discarded nets. So most of the the trash and plastic and garbage that is in the ocean is fishing gear. So the the best way that you can try and save the ocean is just stop giving them your money so that they'll go out and destroy it. Those trawlers too will drag the bottom and they'll grab everything living and dead and destroy ecosystems and just return it. Yeah, destroy the coral reefs, destroy the habitats, you've destroyed the homes. And it's just, yeah, it, it's it's massacre. It's on a huge scale all over the planet. And so we just got to we gotta vote with our dollars. Don't buy the fish. Where do you find hope and optimism in your day-to-day -day life? Uh, I'm I'm a <laughs> I'm an optimist by nature, so I I see so much good in the world. I see people and groups really fighting to make a change, and so that's where I find it. You know, there is good people. It's kind of like that uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, I think it was Abraham said to God, "You won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there's fifty good people, will you?" And he said, "No, I won't." Well, you won't destroy it if there's 10 good people. He said, no, I won't. He said, I won't destroy it if there's one good person there. And so hopefully there'll be enough good people for the tipping point that we'll be able to push through this. And science and technology is coming a huge way as well. So hopefully technological advancements will be able to help us and give us alternatives to destroying our environment. Would you bring a child into the world? Have you thought about being a dad? It's a bit of a contentious point. Um, I probably wouldn't do it here in America um, because there is just far too much violence here. If I was going to do it, I'd probably do it back in Australia um, just because there's, you know, there's very, very little gun violence. Um, there is. People think we don't have guns there. We do. There's plenty of guns there. Two police officers were just killed in a, in a, 
uh, a raid on a house uh, a couple of days ago, which is horrific. Um, but it is so low. The crime rate there is so low. That would be the place that I'd do it. And plus, we're a coastal people, so it's more of a healthy environment. The oceans and waters are cleaner. There's a lot of activities. You live by the coast, and you're just surrounded by healthy, happy people. I was at dinner the other night with a bunch of older guys like us, and I'm older than you. And I, they said, would you still be a dad? I said, if I met the right person. But I said, the only way I would do it if I had a baby is have a European baby, because then I would have medical insurance, daycare, preschool, prenatal, college is paid for. Dad's off the hook for about $3 million, you know, and that's a lot better, more supportive, and it's a more supportive society. And I said, then I don't have to worry about him going down to school and being shot up with an automatic weapon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs, unfortunately. You know, America is, I'm not dumping on America. I love, I, that's why I'm living here. I love it here. I love the people. The the opportunity here far outweighs what I have in Australia. Um, but as far as raising a kid here, to do the right thing, I would probably have to go home. And, you know, that free medical is a huge thing. So uh, I think that's a... Um, indicator of how much your government actually does care about you whether or not you have free medical in your country you know forget college and stuff that'd be amazing but just basic free medical for everyone that should be a given you pay enough tax for it i know well we just passed an 850 billion dollar budget for the defense and yet we don't we're the only country that doesn't have universal health care i did a show on it yesterday and the, st the statistics are staggering and in a bad way. And it's interesting that if you have medical care, there's less mental illness, there's healthier, there's more complete families because economics influence the dynamic of families and society and everything. And then if you also apply, have education and safety, it's just all common sense. And that's why the more advanced countries are thriving. Yeah, well, the food system here isn't very good either. Like, the, America is a toxic food environment. Uh, even, you know, you think about how bad fast food and candies and snacks are already. When you compare them to the ingredients that other countries put in them, America will put in ingredients that are banned in other countries. And they don't have to list them. That's the difference, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, they do. And some, you know, some ingredients that are not good for you the FDA actually says you have to put into this or you can't sell it. And so it's, yeah, there's there's a lot of improvements that can be made in the American government system. But you look at the, the politicians and how they make their money and the donations and, you know, all of those millions of dollars of donations that you think they're string-free? Of course not. They come with, like, definite strings attached where, you know, you're going to have to do favours for these people. So it's it's very it's it's such a first world corrupt system, unfortunately. Mm, so well said. You get what you pay for. I just had a vision of me walking down a beach, like at the end of Shawshank, when Red and uh, the guy gets together. You'll be polished in a boat, and you'll see me, and we'll just <laughs> smile. And I'm like, yeah, I'm up this. <laughs> Got the email. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to buy a couple of hundred acres out here in the forest of America and just set up a house and get all my friends to move in and have a cute little compound. I've got a lot of people you need to talk to. Some have a lot of money who are thinking about the same things. Well, before I let you go, this has been fantastic. And we'll have you back when the documentary comes out. Uh, I was thinking about it. You came so close to death. Uh, I would imagine you're at peace when your time will come. You don't really worry about it because 
you you have looked death in the eye and somehow you survived although obviously you don't want to leave yet you just met the girl of your dreams but do you ever think about it do you ever think of like oh man this is you know because in any day you know something can grab us from the murky water yeah but but not really in that way you know when i was underwater nearly dying i remember asking myself are you ready to die and i look back on my life to that young lost kid who was you know, self-harming and doing a lot of crime and stuff to who I had become through the army and then through the Navy and all of the incredible adventures that I'd had. And I thought I've lived 10 lives in these 31 years. You know what, if, if I'm going to die now, I'm ready to die. And so now that I didn't die, my goal is to go to my deathbed feeling exactly the same way. You know, no missed opportunities, no regrets, because take it from someone who has nearly died in the most terrifying, violent, and painful of ways, being eaten alive. Death isn't scary, but going to your deathbed with missed opportunities and regrets, that is worth your fear because that's what you're going to be thinking about just before you die. So live your life untethered. Don't be afraid to make huge changes. Don't be afraid to do the things that scare you because you do not want to die with regrets. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.